0: Welcome to the Jacksonville Bar Association podcast. My name is Craig Shoup. I'm the Executive Director here at the Jacksonville Bar Association, and we're excited to have Jim Kowalski with us today. Jim is the CEO and Executive Director of Jacksonville Area Legal Aid. Jacksonville Area Legal Aid provides services in Duval, St. John's, and Clay Counties, and throughout the state of Florida. He was named Executive Director in 2012, and prior to his time at Legal Aid, Jim served in the Fourth Judicial Circuit State Attorney's Office. 1989 to 1996, and then went into private practice, following by opening his own practice in late 2006. Before we do get started, I want to say a special thank you to our Jacksonville Bar Association sponsors. These sponsors include Ameris Bank, Dex Imaging, Dixon Hughes Goodman, Member Benefits, Mulholland Investigation and Computer Forensics, Orange Legal, a Veritex company, Florida Lawyers Mutual Insurance Company, YFAS Networks, Charles Van Consulting, CH Mediation, Ullman Wealth Partners, Diamonds Direct, and Scarlet Group. This time we do have a quick message from one of our sponsors.
1: Good morning. Thank you for this opportunity to speak to the members of the Jacksonville Bar Association. I'm honored to be a sponsor member of the association. And I'd certainly like to thank Craig and his uh, very professional staff for all they've done to try and promote our business. Um, our firm is operating at full capacity, and certainly we can assist you in the, with a wider range of uh, investigative matters and mobile and computer forensics. Please call us at 904-354-7989. We'll be happy to assist you in any way we can. Thank you.
0: We appreciate the support of all of our sponsors of the Jacksonville Bar Association. Well, Jim, after all that, welcome. Glad you're with us today. Thank you for having me. So dive into a little bit about you, the part of this whole series is learning about different legal leaders in our community. Tell us about your childhood and growing up and what made you want to become a lawyer?
1: So like many, I didn't learn how to have a self-directed life until I got much older. So I sort of fell into college and law school. My dad was career Navy, and so we moved a bunch of different places. He ended up retiring out of a base in Northern California. So I applied to and was accepted to UC Berkeley, went to undergrad at Berkeley, and then went to law school across the bay at the University of San Francisco, a major in political science is a gateway degree for law school. And I really had no concept of what I wanted to do at that point, my first goal of becoming a Navy fighter pilot was gone because of my vision test. My second goal of becoming a marine biologist was gone because of Chem1A at Berkeley. So I ended up in, in law school, and for whatever reason, at University of San Francisco is known for turning out public interest lawyers. And I kind of fell into uh, criminal law, criminal law and criminal procedure. worked for our clinic. And I clerked for the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco. And then when it came time to graduate, I knew I wanted to be a U.S. Attorney at some point. But they don't take applicants right out of law school. You have to go somewhere else first for three years. In the meantime, my mom and dad had moved to Florida after my dad's retirement. And he worked at Embry-Riddle for another 20 years after 24 Navy. And Miami Vice was on TV, so that was clearly an accurate picture of Florida. Uh, So I applied to the Fourth Circuit State Attorney's Office and they said yes. So I went back to my boss at the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco and said, if I want to come back here in three years, should I go to the DA's office in Riverside, the DA's office in uh, Sacramento, I had an offer from a small civil firm in San Francisco, or should I go to Florida? And she said, maybe because she was watching Miami Vice at the time, she said, You should go to Florida. You'll do more of the cases that we need you to do here. And that really was a huge part of the reason why I packed up the car and the cat that had adopted me, and we moved across country to a city that I didn't know, that I'd never been to, and started work for Mr. Austin in uh, 1989.
0: Wow, that's a. How long was that drive across the state, across the country?
1: So I had done it back and forth solo a couple times. I went with a friend of mine from law school who had gone to Auburn. Um, I can tell you Texas is a long part of the drive. Day three was Texas. Day four was Texas. Started day five was Texas. And after that, you just want to get
0: to where you're going. So you've been practicing, you said, since 1989. Right. You've had a lot of cases. I'm sure you've been involved in your time at State Attorney's Office, private practice, and at legal aid. What are some stories from some great cases you've been involved in that you can kind of tell us that are really, uh, you remember greatly?
1: I think back to my state attorney days, I had the fortune of working with a number of victims who, for whatever reason, kind of pulled me along to seeing some things that they were going through, right? As a prosecutor, what you're taught is that you don't represent the victim. You're here to represent the people of the state of Florida, the victim, or their next of kin in the case of a homicide, is just a witness. And for whatever reason, while on homicide, I had a number of families, uh, Jeff Mitchell's family, Jeff was killed at Terry Parker High School in a, in a major case, and they kind of brought me along to the anguish that they were going through. And in particular, in trying Jeff's case with, with Harry Shorestein, it it started to show me that I could have a closer relationship to the victim. I could see myself as representing the victim. And I think it makes for a much better prosecution if you have that mindset. And then on the civil side, the case, one of a series of cases that ultimately led me to Jala, was the GMAC robo-signing case, which was part of the major cases that led to the collapse of the housing market That was my case. The Wall Street Journal actually blamed me for causing the housing crisis. My mom was so proud. And so doing those cases, doing those big financial cases on the side, again, of the victims in this case who were being preyed upon by these national banks brought me, uh, number one, national recognition, but number two, and more importantly, brought me into the sphere of civil legal aid, right? When I was doing my pro bono work, as an ex-prosecutor, it was, it was geared towards crime victims' work. When I was doing the consumer work, I began doing pro bono work with civil legal aid and Jolly in particular because these were the lawyers, the legal aid lawyers, that had been doing the consumer litigation and the foreclosure work and building that area of law with no fanfare for a very long time. And it was only until the private practice lawyers came into that field we could afford to travel and take depositions. We had a trial practice. That's what we knew how to do was to take depositions and get these cases ready for trial in ways that they had never been prepared for before, right? Banks had no idea what to do when we said we want to depose that person who signed that affidavit, which is is really what the GMAC robo signing case was all about. So I look really at those two cases, one criminal and one civil for two kind of very different reasons, but which brought me further along the curve of my development
0: as a lawyer. So you know you talked about your time and the, the different cases that led you into some of legal aid. We all know working for legal aid is a really a true just, more than just a passion, it's a calling. Talk to me some more about your, your calling to legal aid and, and your role, some now what you're doing and how you, how you got there.
1: So I don't know if you remember the movie Gross Point Blank, one of my favorites. Uh, There's a scene where the uh, Martin Blank, the John Cusack character, is trying to explain to Minnie Driver why he became an assassin. And he fell into this work. and, And you have to have a mantra. And his mantra was taming unchecked aggression. And that's what he used to excuse the fact that he was now an assassin for the government. And I think part of what attracted me to working with Jala when my predecessor left was this theme that I think we've been talking about today. It's standing up to bullies. I I don't like bullies. And legal aid lawyers all across the state and across the country have both the skill set and the mindset to wade into court on behalf of those who otherwise would not have somebody to stand up for them. And they wade into court against some of the most powerful entities that we have as organizations, huge banks, uh, car dealers, predatory behavior of all kinds towards our elderly, towards our vets. And I like being part of that team and walking into court and standing up to the bully and using our skill set to say, yeah, this isn't going to happen today. I really enjoy that part of the world.
0: Is there anybody who kind of, in your life, helped guide you towards this legal aid process and being part of legal aid?
1: So I have talked about this from time to time, but Bill Van Norwick had a huge impact on my life, Uh, reaching out and kind of connecting with me at a pivotal point and kind of bumping me off this comfortable private practice road I was on. Uh, Following him along his road is another thing that led me into the sphere of civil legal aid. And then the lawyers at JALA, Lynn Drysdale, April Charney, who's no longer at JALA. These are just iconic lawyers. They're known nationally, right? JALA today is the only civil firm in Florida that has two Florida Bar Consumer Lawyers of the Year on staff. We're the only one. And so getting to work with them and seeing how they impacted me to the point that I wanted to join them as part of this team I would point to a couple of those folks as having a significant impact on me.
0: So we know you've been involved and JALA's uh, been involved with uh, the Jacksonville Bar Association. Tell us why you think it's important for you and the lawyers at JALA to be part of the Jax Bar.
1: So we are a community and I think that's the most important thing. Part of what troubles me with the larger bar and the third branch of government in general is that we are structured, the larger bar, the third branch, is structured not for the benefit of the customer. It's structured for the benefit of the employee. It's exactly the opposite of what you would do if you were in business and you wanted to survive. Whereas the smaller bars, the JBA, the Tallahassee Bar, I would also give a shout-out to the Orlando Bar Association, these are bars that know their community, that are responsive to the community, they're responsive to the customer, right? The public that uses our services while also offering services for the lawyers as part of this community. But it's that concept of community, of being aware of, the, of who you serve and why you are here that is the reason why I think local bars like the JBA are so important. So JAL is a 100% participant. All of our lawyers are members of the JBA. And they participate, I ask them to participate so that they can have that sense of interconnectedness in their community. That they, while they get a part of working for JALA, they don't get the rest of it. And the rest of it can come from membership in the JBA.
0: So tell me something, maybe other than donate pro bono hours to JALA, that you would tell a new lawyer to either the practice overall, or who's maybe just new to practicing here in the Fourth Circuit. What's something you think they should know?
1: So, I'll go back to a partnership we have with Smith Gambrell, and just use that as an example of how this is very much a two-way street. Pro bono is a two-way street. So, Steve Brust, who's the managing partner of Smith Gambrell locally, came to us, wanted to help build a pro bono program, mainly because Smith Gambrell's other offices were heavily invested in pro bono, and, he wanted to bring them up to par with the other smith Campbell offices. So at the time, we had a need with renters who have conditions problems, right? Somebody's got a tree that falls through their apartment, or maybe they have rodents in their apartment, which is something in the news that we're helping some folks with. And under Florida... You can't just stop paying rent if you have a tree fall through your roof. You have to give a notice. You have to wait seven days. And then you can either withhold rent or you can terminate early. Well, this is something that some folks can do on their own, right? If you have some sort of education, maybe you can. But it's also an area where a lawyer helps. So the smith Gambrell lawyers came in and kind of adopted that program. And still to this day. So they sit with the clients. They help them prepare the conditions notices. And then if those folks end up being sued while they've made this defense, the smith Gambrell lawyers can come in. So a couple things this does. Number one, it's getting new associates contact with clients to talk about legal issues in ways that new associates these days in big firms don't always get a chance to do. Right, It gets them to that street-level lawyering. Number two, it gets them in court. They're in court, in county court cases. They're sometimes trying these cases. So they're getting litigation skills that, again, new associates in a large firm don't often get the chance to to have. And then for Smith-Gambrell's part, one of the things that helped was it helped then Smith-Gambrell market itself as having, as being a trial firm with associates that had a higher level of practice, practical involvement, than other firms whose associates may not have had that street-level lawyering experience like their associates have. So it's very much a two-way street. We we accept that it's a two-way street. We want it to be a two-way street, but that's just an easy example. And both Jala and Three Rivers are very open to helping create those opportunities for either new lawyers or firms to have a partnership in a way that works for them as well. As working for our clients.
0: So one of our um, fun questions that we're having in this series, what's some of your favorite places to go have dinner with your family? at?
1: So I have uh, a teenage daughter, my son's now away at college, Uh, but I do have to say that one of the greatest moments that I've experienced recently is when Maple Street Biscuit Company opened up just a couple blocks from where we live. So I think that's quite the sweet spot for for restaurants for us.
0: I know one of our past Young Lawyers presidents was uh, heavily involved in their work and when they were opening and starting the franchise, and uh, Alex Hill. So that's another, everything circles back to the JBA. It does. It's
1: a very small world.
0: So if somebody wants to get more involved in pro bono efforts at Legal Aid, uh, what's the best way to somebody to do that? How do they reach out? Who do they reach out to? What's the, what's the, How does that work?
1: The best thing to do is to go to our website, jackslegalaid.org. We have an enormous amount of information there. We have self-help resources. We talk about the site that we built for the entire state of Florida, uh, the, the uh, eviction help, floridaevictionhelp.org site that we're hosting for the entire state where folks can build their eviction answer that they would then file in in their eviction case. Uh, Volunteer opportunities, donation opportunities, videos of some of the work that we do, and we've documented all there at jackslegalaid.org.
0: That's great, Jim. We thank you for coming on. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for everything you're doing in our community. Uh, We look forward to seeing all of you again at our next episode.